Good morning. <coughs> I have not been able to shake these allergies for like two or three weeks, so I'm going to use this mic so I don't wear my voice out. Um, but Joshua Black couldn't be here, obviously. Uh, he had to have an emergency dental surgery, so we're hoping that maybe he can uh, make it back sometime between now and when John returns, so y'all be in prayer for him. Um, so this morning I've titled this sermon, Sticks and Stones. Uh, we've all heard the common saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Um, I would dare say that most of us have said this. Uh, most of us have believed this at some point in time. Um, this is one of those older sayings taught to us by our parents or teachers, um, you know, and they teach this to us with the most noble of intentions. We hear this and we understand the sentiment that they are implying, which is what someone says to me can't affect me physically, so I don't need to concern myself with it. Um, unfortunately, this phrase that we've grown up hearing is completely based on a falsehood. Uh, it is completely untrue. Now, before anybody gets upset and thinks that I'm calling their parents or grandparents a liar, I am not. I am simply stating that they might be wrong if they believe this. In fact, um, they could not be more wrong in this sense to say that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Our words have the most severe of consequences. Um, so how do we know this to be true? Let's look over in Matthew I'm going to be reading in chapter 14, the end of chapter 14 into 15, if you're following along in your Bibles. I'll be reading out of the uh, ESV. Matthew 14, I'm going to start in verse 34. It says, And when they had crossed over, they came to, a land, to, to land at uh, Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, being Jesus, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do, our, excuse me, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He, being Jesus, answered them and said, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. (coughs) Excuse me. So here, I know that's a lot. Um, I want to focus on a couple of things. We see Christ being criticized for his good work, starting back in chapter 14 into uh, chapter 15. He's being criticized for healing people, right? And this isn't the first time. If you look over in the other Gospels, he's constantly criticized and uh, and ostracized and uh, put on trial, basically, for healing people on the Sabbath, um, for committing these great miracles on the Sabbath. Here come the Pharisees, and they want to condemn him. You shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath. And um, so he's breaking bread with these people, right? He heals them. He's breaking bread with them. And for some reason, this disgusts these pious Pharisees. So Christ commits a great offense to the Pharisees by divinely healing the sick and breaking bread with the lowly. This is the crime that he's committed. And the Pharisees think, you know, how dare this man who claims to be the son of God, let's not forget that, how dare he chastise me, a high, holy, and worthy priest? Um, how preposterous, right? I must speak out against this injustice, and I must do it publicly. So I want us to pause for a moment and learn from these Pharisees. We ought to pray that this attitude of theirs be purged from ourselves, because I assure you that we all have it. Right? How dare someone commit this heinous sin against me, a child of God, when we do the very thing? That is pride. Uh, that's what it comes down to. We are often scrutinized and even persecuted. And I hate using that word because we don't really understand persecution yet. But in our small way, uh, we see persecution and then we are offended. Um, we get upset. We see things that are going on and we think, how dare they, right? How dare you, the world, chastise me, a child of God? So before we speak out against these injustices, we need to consider one question. Am I offended for my sake or for righteousness' sake? Am I offended because I have now been offended, or am I offended because they have now offended God? Because if I get offended solely because someone says something offensive, and I retaliate, most of the time what Josh O'Brien tries to do is to reconcile my retort with righteousness, right? Somebody says, fill in the blank about me, and I combat that, with something normally quippy, TJ knows because it's all day with him, right? But uh, I come back with something, but in a more real sense, if someone says something to me and it offends me, and I think I have to defend myself, and then I try to excuse that later, saying, well, I was in the right. But how often do we consider our retorts before we say them, how often do we say this? I'm standing against this injustice because it is in direct conflict with the teachings of the Word of God. So, um, unfortunately for us, we have grown up in a society 
that clearly does not believe what they confess. Uh, you know, we see time and time again how our nation clings to this idea of the freedom of speech, and yet as soon as someone um, enacts this right, but it is in disagreement with what they believe, they want that right stripped away. Uh, so people don't believe in freedom of speech. They believe in their own freedom of speech, not yours. Um, so so why, am I, why am I saying that? Because Christ, what we see here is Christ begins to expose these Pharisees. So the Pharisees come to him, and they're trying to accuse him, trying to find something they can drag him to the courts with. Right, So they say, you're doing this great injustice of healing the sick people. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes out and is causing lame people to walk and the blind to see, and they say, you have to stop because this is on the Sabbath and we don't like it. Right? Can you imagine having to deal, deal with that today? We would like to think we would uh, call those people out to be politically correct. Right? We would like to think we would shut that down, but we wouldn't. We're no different. So, <clears throat> what exactly is it that Christ is telling them, accusing these Pharisees of? Well, what these Pharisees were doing is that they would take their tithe that they were supposed to be using to support their parents, right? Christ exposes this in, in this chapter. He says, what you should be doing is supporting your parents, right? Your parents brought you up. That you survived because of them. And now that they're old and they can't take care of themselves, now it is your responsibility to take care of them. This is what the Bible teaches. We're not supposed to shove our parents and grandparents in old people's homes. We're to take them into our own homes if possible, right? So Christ exposes them because these Pharisees are neglecting their parents so that they can pay a tithe to the church. That's their excuse. Well, Mom and Dad, I know you can't eat this week, so I'm going to take this 20 bucks and I'm going to give it to the church because what, what was meant for you is really for God. How pious. So Christ exposes, exposes this. <clears throat> so when Christ exposes this, he is not saying do one and not the other. He is saying to do both. So what I mean by this is they're accusing him of not keeping the Sabbath. Right? And Christ is accusing them of not taking care of their parents. And Christ says, I'm not saying take care of your parents and don't honor the Sabbath. I'm saying to do both. You are to do both. So, um, he, he's explaining to them that you're not fulfilling the law in any way if what you are doing is neglecting the nature of the law. I think we've all kind of went over this before, but for anybody that hasn't heard this, Christ is showing them just because you hold to the letter of the law does not mean that you're holding to the nature of the law. And we know the nature of the law is to love God above all things and to love your neighbor as yourself. So then Christ explains to his disciples the importance of our words. So let's look back at verses 17 and 20. I've got it on the next slide. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the, uh, excuse me, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So he's explaining to them here, listen, 
your accusations are going to condemn you. Be very careful about what you say because it's not what comes in, in this sense, eating with unclean hands, right, that will defile you. But it is you now or these Pharisees accusing me, the Son of God, that will condemn them. So what we say matters because it, more often than not, reveals what we truly believe. Um, Rick uh, Burgess from Rick and Bubba says this all the time. You may not always necessarily believe what you confess, but you always live what you believe. So you might say that you believe something, but most of the time if you're not behaving that way, you don't truly believe it. So why does that matter? Because here on Sunday, right, Sunday morning, we can get up here, we can preach, we can teach, we can lead worship, we can fill in the blank. We can do these things with our lips. We can, we can sing praises and utter God's praise with our lips. But then when we turn around and we go to work Monday or we're at home Monday with our kids, how are our, our lips now glorifying God or are they at all? Does all of our praises for God come to him in this one hour, hour and a half that we have here on Sunday morning? Um, it, it, I want you to think about it like this. Break it down into actual time. Like, I'm a numbers guy. We spend 20 minutes singing. We spend an hour maybe listening to a, a lesson, maybe 30 minutes listening to a sermon, right? So out of our lips, most of the time, you're looking at 20 to 30 minutes of praise. If you take a five-day work week, you're looking at, so this is an eight-hour day, 2,400 minutes, 2,400 minutes that you could be using to praise God. Now, clearly I'm not saying that you need to go praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. However, that should reveal to us how important our words are and what we're doing with them. What I mean is what kind of ambassador for Christ are you representing yourself as? So <clears throat> to be transparent, um, that for myself, I would say that I am a poor representative of the one thing that I say is the most important thing, right? We, um, we're stuck in the truck sometimes eight hours a day, sometimes nine or longer. Uh, I would dare say that the majority of that time is spent jabbing at a friend of mine. Now, in good fun, right, and I always make sure I get the upper hand, no, but it is not spent how it ought to be spent, now, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having fun with your friend. But you understand the majority of your words ought not be self-glorifying or self-gratifying. They ought to be glorifying Christ. So your words, this is what we're talking about today, carry an immense amount of weight. Right? Your words do. Um, so if, if you don't mind, allow me to share a couple of examples with you to uh, reinforce this point. I couldn't help myself. It was a cheap shot, but, well, that pun was not intended. <laughs> um, uh, words matter, right? We all saw this. Um, someone please tell Chris Rock and Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith that words don't matter. Clearly they do. Um, hey, sticks and stones, right? Sticks and stones. So, um you can, yeah, thank you for skipping past that. <laughs> I don't want to preach with them up here the whole time. If you don't mind, allow me for just a minute uh, an anecdotal story to reinforce this. 
Um, I will try to be brief. I know that brevity is not in my vocabulary. Um, but to explain this, uh, when I was in middle school, I was in my middle school ag class. Uh, we started welding for any of you boys or maybe even girls that had to do that. Um, I found that I had a natural knack for welding, for stick welding, which was kind of cool because that's what my dad does. My dad, is a, that's what he's done his whole life is he's a stick welder. So I noticed I started getting pretty good at doing this. Um, I caught on quickly. Uh, you just have to pay attention to detail and things like this. <clears throat> well, anyway, so I come home from eighth grade, and I start talking about uh, my welding. My dad, he did not care anything about what I did in school, right, at all. Um, so as soon as I was like, ah, oh, I know what I'll do, I'll mention welding to him. And he was like, oh, okay. So now his interest is peaked, and he starts asking me daily, how's the welding going? And he's giving me little pointers and stuff, and it's helping, Right. So this is the first time in history of my life that my dad is anywhere near interested in my academics. And it has nothing to do with academics, right? Uh, so not to, not to be too long-winded here, but for those of you that Richie knows probably better than most of us, that for those of you that have stick welded, when you weld, when you make a bead, uh, a line of weld there, um, after it cools, there's slag left over on top of that weld. And in a nutshell, you guys can correct me, but in a nutshell, basically you're welding out the impurities of the metal and things like that. It's left burnt on top of this weld. That must be chipped away, right? You take a little hammer, you chip it off. Well, if you have a good weld, that slag starts to peel itself off. It's pretty interesting to see. So one day, uh, you know, I'm talking to my dad. I'm telling him this, I'm, I'm going to get good at this. And I started telling him, hey, I'm getting to where the front part of that weld is starting to peel up. And he's like, it'd be really cool if you could get it to where it comes all the way off. So I sat there and practiced for like two to three months now we're doing welding. And one day I get there and I had the perfect weld. It was about a four-inch weld. And that slag peeled off and rolled off all by itself. And this is fourth period. So I pick this up and I carry it like this because any of you that know this slag or flux, which a lot of people refer to it as super brittle. If you blow on it the wrong way, it's going to break. So I'm carrying it in my hand like this, and I'm going to get a paddling if you take this out of the shop. So I have to hide it, right? So I hide it, and I carry it with me from fourth period through seventh period, so three hours. And then I have an hour bus ride home, and I'm carrying it just like it's a little baby. I'm like, I can't let this break. i got to show my dad, right? Right as I'm getting off the bus, it breaks. Oh, heart's crushed, breaks into, and I'm like, so what? It's good enough. So I run inside, and I'm like, Dad goes, how's the welding going? And I'm like, you won't believe this. Check this out. It's about a four-inch piece of slag in two pieces, and I lay it down. And he looks at it, and he's impressed. I can see it in his eyes. His eyes kind of get big. And then he looks at me, and he goes, so what? I do that all the time. From that day forward, I never wanted to weld again. I still don't to this day. And the few times that I have, I always remember that, right? The one thing that I thought my dad would be proud of me about, he decides that I'm trying to show him up somehow so that now he must remain on top. Sticks and stones, right? Words don't matter. Words don't last. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's look at a more profound example. Uh, Matthew 7. <coughs> This is the one I think we all know. We're all well-versed in. 
verses 21 through 23. It says, this is uh, Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we do uh, and do many wondrous works, mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Sticks and stones, right? Words don't matter. It is sobering to me to know that even though I consider myself an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher, um, even though I lead worship on Sundays most of the time, uh, even though I'm a father and a husband and the leader of my household, it is a sobering thought to know that I'm just as wretched and full of sin and deserving of hell as anyone else. Regardless of what I say up here, of me playing guitar, of me singing these praises, of whatever amount of work I think I'm putting in for God's sake, it is not attributed to me as righteousness because I'm filthy. It is sobering to me to know that there's nothing that I can do to earn God's favor. I am a sinner, and I have broken God's law, just as Christ has said. Um, I'm not even as good as those that he's referring to. Those men cast out demons. And what does he say to them? Um, I have broken God's law. I've been weighed and measured, and I have been found guilty, and am now a transgressor. Um, So because God is just, he must then pay me what is due. He, I get to earn my wages finally on the day of judgment, and that is death. My idle words will be tried, <clears throat> and they will condemn me. And it is also because of words that I can be justified. It's because of this word that we have that I can be justified. Words matter. This word tells me that it is only because of Christ's righteousness, because of his sacrifice and his propitiation for my sins, his, the, his ability as the perfect sacrifice to be the intercessor, to take upon my debt upon himself, that I can now be justified in God's eyes and be reborn of the Spirit. But his sacrifice wasn't in vain. It, it, it not only forgives my sin in the past, and this is something that I've, ex- I've had to explain to mature Christians. This does not mean that my sins from that point back are forgiven. It means that my sins, all of which, the ones in the past, the ones I commit today, and the ones I will c- commit tomorrow, have already been taken care of. Now, does that give me the freedom to sin? God forbid, Right? But it is comforting as a child of God. It is the only comforting thing when you sin. I, I think we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh, with John briefly. Um, I, I think Keith was asking some questions. and any, Anyway, we were sitting there talking, and uh, he was talking about sin, and he said there's this, this one thing that I, just latches on to me, and I'm trying to rid myself of it, and I've been struggling with it for years, and I'm like, amen, brother. Right, that one thing, it, I always fall in that ditch. It's like I dig the ditch and then I fall in it myself, and I always feel so horrible about it. 
And I said to a young Christian, this is not good advice. But to a mature Christian, when you sin, for those of you that know what I'm talking about, there's a small glimpse of comfort, even in that, which is to know that Christ has already prepared your place for him. His forgiveness and justification is complete. That's what he said, or what he meant when he said, it is finished. It is complete, and it is for all eternity, so that when I die, and I approach the throne of God on judgment day, before I can be accused of these things, that God no longer sees someone deserving of eternal torment. But he sees me clothed in Christ's robe of righteousness the robe that has covered all of my sins. And it is because of this, because of his word and my complete submission to its complete authority that words will matter more than ever when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So then I will enter into the eternal glory as a joint heir with Christ. Praise God for the power of words. We could talk about the power of words for years Look at Genesis 1, 1. And God said, right? In the beginning, God said. But hey, words don't affect me. Sticks and stones. Words matter and they last. And they will either condemn us or they will justify us. So today, I charge myself along with my brothers and sisters here to let us take care before we are so flippant with what God considers paramount. <clears throat> I want to read um, Proverbs 18, verses 20 uh, and 21. It says, From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may last forever. Uh, let us not forget that. Zach, will you pray for us, please?